This is pod. You're gonna hear us jerk off the movie, as I said. You think this is funny? Yeah. This is funny. <laughs> now this is podcasting. Bro, you fell asleep in the movie theater during that. Now this is podcasting. I can appreciate the attempt of what they did. Now this is podcast. Was that the scene with the with the little girls and the little girls? Why couldn't Superman spot that bomb? It was fucking covered in lead, bro. There you go. Now this is podcast. I saw his asshole fly through his mouth. Hell yeah, man. Now this is podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is uh, it's getting pretty exciting here. This is the sixth episode of Now This Is Podcasting. So, what kind of guy did you are? We're halfway through a baker's dozen. Give me a friggin' break. Uh, no, we're halfway through a dozen. Next episode will be halfway through a baker's dozen. I'm gonna come. Fuck you. Well, I'm Shem. We're joined by our lovely co-host, Michael. And of course, we got that fucking piece of shit acting as our producer. Uh, the one, the only, the insufferable Joe G. Acting as a producer. He's our he's our he's our producer for right now until we can um, replace him with a different friend. Yeah, uh, one that's better looking, <laughs> one that doesn't have glasses, maybe because there's already yeah. two guys with glasses. Mike's not wearing his right now, but mine are broke. Oh, just like uh, me and Joe, we're both broke. So, oh shit, dude, good one. Broken hearted because you know you weren't here the other day when we recorded an episode of a tangential podcast without you. I was listening though. I gotta see oh, yeah. guys. Like, you, you guys are onto something. Like, I didn't know you were friends with Khabib. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let me just do this real quick. So this week, Mike and I watched uh, Reservoir Dogs, and uh, Joe. Yeah, this week, Mike and I watched Reservoir Dogs, and uh, Joe was like... Wait, 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 wait. A couple hours ago. <laughs> yeah, but today is technically still part of this week, this so I'm week. not lying when I say... We put so much preparation <laughs> into this fucking episode. We literally just finished it. The The plan that we're on for preparation is Preparation H. Um, I want that to be clear. But yes, we did just watch Reservoir Dogs uh, a couple hours ago. Um, this has been a, a whole just a whole day experiment, waiting for Joe to wake up, uh, waiting for him to get car food, waiting for him to figure out how to turn on his instant pot. You know, it's just been hoping that he wouldn't wake up. Oh yeah, Joe, you're awfully quiet. I'm working. Someone's got to do the work here. None of you guys want to do the work. Shem barely does anything for the show. I'm the one who really gets out there. You know, I'm watching UFC fights. I'm busy. I'm doing things. I got the slow cooker going. We're making pork roast. We got UFC fights. I'm getting myself mentally prepared. We have a game seven. Uh, is there anything better than game sevens? No. You know, between the Nets and the Bucks, I got a lot going on. So you think if I have time to talk about, you know, uh, you know, I don't have anything? time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So this week, what we ended up doing. Now, this has actually been a busy week for now. This is podcasting because earlier in the week, you know, I was talking to Joe. I was like, hey, we're going to do, you know, Mike's off. So we're going to do like a normal episode with like movies. And Joe's like, but I don't watch movies. And I was like, I know, but you're going to watch this movie. And he's like, no, what we're going to do is record a whole separate episode of a podcast where we talk about nothing except for sports and not movies. And I was like, OK, deal. So I did it. I was thinking that the brand needs to expand. I think we're 
pigeonholing ourselves with just Motherfucker, you were the one who wanted to do the podcast on the fucking movies. What? Uh, that was us. That was us. We wanted to do a podcast on No. Movies. But it was Joe's But ultimately, idea. it was Joe. Yeah, but ultimately, it was Joe's idea. I like how you're taking my side on this, Shembri, here. Uh, no, I, fuck <laughs> I think Mike has his. Uh, Mike is right. <laughs> I did. I did. I want. I wanted to do. The that was that too. kind of guy who's like, you know what? Like, I like the show and I like the direction we're going in. I just think that we need more titties. Honestly, there wasn't enough me. That's the problem. There was. There was me, but not enough me. That's fair. So, uh, you know, when you get a chance, check out our uh, other episode that's gonna be up. Uh, right this one. It's not the it's not the dude or is my car related episode, but it's called Sports Casual with Joe and Shem, uh, where we talk about the Yankees woes, uh, the UFC, uh, some ba- uh, playoff basketball uh, because of the Brooklyn Nets caused Joe and I to lose some money. And wow. um, it's unfortunate you put money on a team that's supposed to win. James Harden wasn't even supposed to be there. They're like Kevin Durant do whatever he wanted that game. I know. Yeah, didn't it even crazy. Start the defense. No. That's NBA defense now, though. Yeah, it's non-existent. Uh, so anyway, as I said, uh, earlier today, Mike and I watched Reservoir Dogs. We haven't really talked about it. We've been on Discord for the last, like, seven hours, and we haven't actually talked about the movie that we watched. We've been holding on to this conversation for all three of you that are going to listen to this podcast. Um, most of that seven hours has been us waiting for Joe. Um but here we are. Hello, Joe. I gotta get my things in order. I gotta get my things in order. His things. I'm doing air quotes around the word things. Joe, have you you've seen Reservoir Dogs? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I haven't seen it like uh, in years all the way through. If I've said I've seen it recently, that's me lying once again for acceptance. So. And the thing is, though, we still don't accept you. Peer pressure. What are you gonna do? He's a peer pressure, you know. That makes sense. Yeah. So Reservoir Dogs, uh, Quentin Tarantino's uh, first movie, um, at least the one that, you know, put him on the map. He might have done a, like, a couple of small kind of like indie things, you know, uh, prior to that. But Reservoir Dogs was like the first. He did a Campbell's Chicken Soup commercial before. <laughs> How much gore was in that? I don't remember that one. Dude, the, the chicken gets addicted to meth and then sells its baby. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Reservoir Dogs came out in 1992. Uh, if you want to, if you want to watch it, Google it, you'll figure it out. Mike and I both own it on DVD. So we kicked it old school and watched it, uh, on physical copies because we're fucking losers and still own DVDs. I watched it on beta back. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So Mike, I guess I'll, uh, I'll kick it over to you. What, um, what were your thoughts watching it today? Is there anything that stood out rewatching the movie for the first time in a while? Like, um, I'm going to come. Yeah, like that that was on my mind the whole time. But it's a Tarantino movie, so it's obvious. Um, this one was just uh like I, I had talked about earlier, um it felt more like a play than any of his other movies. It kind of felt uh obviously it's his first movie, so it's not gonna be as like you know, finely tuned as his other stuff, but the story was there and uh the 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 build up and the intensity in the scenes was really good. Um, like I said, it, it just really felt like a play more than it did a movie. Like, some of the scenes were just kind of like, like you had said, like, it, it was, uh, they didn't really transition into a lot of scenes in that. There wasn't a lot of, like, 
That's why I asked how much the budget was on it because it was it didn't seem like it was a high budget movie, but it was no. And that actually lends as to why the movie is so limited with scenes. Just you don't have you don't they can't create sound. He didn't have the money for sound stages. Uh, didn't have the money for these great sets, but what he did have—I mean, the lighting in that movie is incredible. Um, yes, actually, I don't know if you're being being serious or not, but yeah, you're right. No, I'm serious. The, the, you know, yeah. Tarantino was able to take lemons and make lemonade out of it, just because the use of lighting in that movie is is fantastic. Oh, dude. To create shadows on faces and, and show depth, it's just. Yes, yeah. uh, that's the highlight of this because it is a very low budget movie. Yeah, specifically that scene with Marvin. Like his face so, and the sweat and like the gas and like his ear and shit. Like that was just so there was it was so detailed. Yeah. No, it really was. Yeah, the only little bit that Mike talked and I uh Mike and I talked uh during the movie was him in the beginning and saying, This is a low budget movie. How much was it uh made for? And uh, I have it open right over here. Uh one point two million dollars is what uh That's incredible. Yeah. 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 So just you know, a little bit more than a million dollars to make this movie. Uh, and I like the fact that it's like low budget. There's like a certain like there's something about it like that. There's only a few scenes, you know, there's not a whole lot of places like they're in the warehouse. They're in the diner. Uh, they have a couple of scenes where um, Joe, the guy that looks like the thing is like in his like mansion, which is just like a room in it. You know, it's not even like it's like a full house. Like you just see like a room um, They're in the bar at that one scene when uh, Tim Roth is like first meeting them, like the, uh, like Joe, Mr. White and, uh, uh, Oh God, what is his name? Uh, nice guy, Eddie, right. Is that what yeah. the yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe's son is, uh, you know, played by the, uh, the late, uh, Chris, Chris Penn, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Chris Penn. Nice guy, Eddie. Yeah. I forgot that he was in rush hour. I was looking at his IMDB before. Oh, shit, the first rush hour movie. Yeah. You know what I always forget he's in is, um, footloose. Uh, I never. I didn't know that. That. He's also in that movie with Chris Kattan. Not at the Roxbury. Corky Romano. Corky. Oh Corky yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had the Roxbury. I was like, maybe this is the same first thing. Yeah, literally, same Chris Kattan has two movies, and you pick the other one. <laughs> no, he played the bad guy in uh, Undercover Brother. He has three movies. Oh shit! He. Uh... We're not like the bad guy. He wasn't like the main bad guy, but he was the one that Chris. Um, I was about to say Chris Penn, but he's the one that Undercover Brother fights on top of the uh, like. God, that movie is movie and shit. so fucking bad. Yeah, I love it though. It's one of my favorite movies. It's a cult classic, I would say. Oh, for sure. We should do that. Arguable. We should watch yeah. that and, and just fucking bullshit about it. That should be a movie we watch, though. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. Um, but yeah, dude, fucking Reservoir Dogs. It never, it never disappoints. I hadn't seen that movie in probably like eight years. Um, yeah, it's been a minute until today. Yeah, so it's it's been a while, and there was I didn't really pick up on anything new. I think for me though, I think my favorite set of scenes is when um, uh, Tim Roth is like acting, and he's like building his like backstory as like a criminal because he's an undercover cop. And Mike and I were talking about this a little bit during it, but he's talking to uh, nice guy Eddie Joe and Mr. White at a at a bar, and as he's describing this like story about him trying to sell weed, um, you know, he's at like a train station. He's like talking about like going into the bathroom to take a piss, and that there's like four cops there with a German Shepherd. And as he's telling the story, you know, they're kind of like acting it out. You know, they're like showing it almost like a flashback, like it's happening. But then in the middle of the scene. 
instead of it having to be in a flashback, Tim Roth is like standing there, like talking at the cops, which I thought was kind of cool because it's like almost like a you're almost like seeing it not from Tim Roth's perspective, but like inside his head. It's like an out of body experience. Yeah, the- where he's not he's not at the bar right now in his head. He's in this bathroom, but he's still present in the bar telling the story and stuff like that. It was just like a really cool scene to watch because it's just like, uh, as you said, yeah, almost like an out of body perspective or the way I saw it was like in his head, you know, it's like he's talking, but as he's talking, he's like imagining the things around him. So that way he can act and make it seem like he is a criminal and stuff like that and putting himself in the scenario. It's just such a fucking creative scene. Yeah. Which is why I thought it, it it kind of felt like a play, which was another, yeah, that, that scene in particular felt like a play element. Like, yeah, like, it's almost like uh, like in Macbeth or some shit with like a soliloquy. Yeah. Like he's doing like a monologue. In front or a of monologue, him. yeah. So there's like yeah. people there, but the light's on the, the person that's talking. Everybody's yeah. just kind of there, but it's something that's like internal. You know, yeah. it's not actually happening. Yeah, no, I feel you, dude. And like, yeah, we were talking too. We had mentioned like, God damn, dude. Like everyone's performing. There wasn't a bad actor in this movie. Like, No, dude. <laughs> no, no. Very Tim Roth's fucking so yes. underrated. And yeah. Harvey Cattell plays like the same character every time, but like he's good at it. Yeah. Michael Madsen's the same way. Oh yeah. I was actually uh so after we got done watching it, we took a quick break before coming back together. And I was reading some stuff on um this movie, uh, obviously, because I just wanted to to get a little prepared in. Uh I guess Mike Madsen has said that he felt like this movie is the movie that typecasted him as like a bad guy and things because his performance was just so good. He was in this movie yeah. and he's also in kill bill. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah. And like, that's why he's now plays like bad people in movies, but he just does such a good job. Yeah. So unfortunately like, he got typecasted, but tough guy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But the, the cast is fucking sick, man. You got a uh, Harvey Cattell as Mr. White. Tim Roth as Mr. Orange, Michael Madsen as Mr. Blonde, Chris Penn as Nice Guy Eddie, Steve Buscemi, Buscemi, whatever, as Mr. Pink, uh, Lawrence uh, Tierney plays Joe, Joe Cabot, and then you got fucking this guy, Edward Bunker, who plays Mr. Blue, who's literally in the movie for like three minutes. Like, did he yeah. not have enough money for that $1.2 million where it's like, hey, Ed, like, we need your face. We can give you $30 <laughs> to sit in a in a diner with us. In the it. Amazon remake, he's played by Chris Pratt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Who do you think you are? I am. <laughs> nah, dude, solid, solid movie, though. It felt like it was all shot in, like, one town, almost, like, in, in like, a day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just, it's it's so hinged on just the performances of the, uh, the, the characters. Like, the story's kind of, like, very base. It's like every Tarantino movie. Like the story's pretty straightforward, mm-hmm. but like it's about the journey and the intensity of the uh, the actors and the way they perform. Yeah. So the movie was shot over the course of five weeks. That was one of the things that I was reading before. Our, oh, our, really? Our so break. that's short. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just like a, a month to film that movie, and that which yeah. also kind of ties into the the fucking low budgetness. Of the book as well. It's like we have five weeks to fucking shoot this movie in eight locations, Um, (laughs) and a couple of street scenes. You know, they probably did like all the street scenes in like one day. Yeah, like I can imagine. Maybe two. Apparently, the uh, stuck in the middle with you scene. uh, They did three takes of that, and like that was it. Like it was, you know, it was like the same song every time. Yeah, but what do you think of the uh, the nonlinear narrative 
uh, in the movie. Uh, do you feel like the nonlinear narrative was uh, was necessary? Like, yeah, just, uh, tell me, tell me your thoughts about that. Um, um i i liked uh i mean you could see that tarantino like you could see like he takes elements of this and really kind of plays with it a lot more in uh fiction when he makes that uh jackie jackie brown i think it is i haven't seen that in a long time so i don't really remember it all the way through if he plays with uh the timeline in that but in this one, I really liked it. I thought it worked because um, essentially what the story is is he just takes like everyone's story and cuts it up, and then like you just get to the end. So it's like you get a little bit of backstory on each character, and then like through that he builds the story along with telling you about the characters. So that's why essentially it's a character-driven movie because the story itself takes like fucking you know you could have that done in like. That whole warehouse scene takes place like in like what, probably half hour, hour tops, right in the whole movie. But they just split it up with, uh, you know, background. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not even all of the characters either. Like you get no. like a little bit with like Miss, like Steve Buscemi's character um, yeah. and stuff. But like the three major flashbacks that you have are the first one's Mister White. Uh, who's Harvey Cattell's character. Yeah. Uh, and then you see Mr. Blonde in the next flashback, which is uh, uh, Michael Madsen. Uh, yeah. And then you have Tim Roth as Mr. Orange. And I'm pretty sure Tim Roth is the longest of those backstories. Because he's the antagonist. Yeah. Yeah, that was something that we did talk a little bit about uh, during the movie as well. And Joe, I don't know if you have anything to, to shout out this since you haven't seen the movie in a while, but like, who do you think is like the antagonist in the movie? Like, Who do you think the movie is about? Like, Who would be the main character? Uh, Steve uh, Buscemi. Why do you say Steve Buscemi? I don't know. I just been thrown out. I don't know. I can't speak on this movie. I really, I can't. <laughs> is, he, is it an Adam Sandler movie? No, because he uh, he volunteered on 9/11. That's all. Fuck you, Joe. That's that's so like I can't even make fun of that. Like you're I'm so not making fun of 9/11. I'm just stating a fact. He helped out. No, on like, I can't even attack you for it. So congrats. Kudos. Yeah, he's a good guy. Everybody gets one. Never forget. Yeah, that's fair. And I think that is an interesting way to, though, to think about the movie. Because one of the things that Mike and I discussed uh, while we were watching it is that, like, Steve Buscemi's character is, (laughs) I think we keep saying his name wrong every single time we say it. I don't think we've said it right once. (laughs) Buscemi. Yeah. Buscemini. Buscemini. The B is silent. Oh, so it's uh, Buscemi. Yeah, Buscemi. Bruce Bruce Buscemi. Yeah, you're right. It's actually pronounced Steve. Herb Dean. Sorry. Um, but the uh, he's the only person in the movie that actually like has like a full. Um, I don't even know if character arc is the right word. No. Um, a twist. You could argue that Tim Roth might, but like I, I guess I'm thinking in regards to like the dramatic need, like the the thing that the character is trying to accomplish in the movie, like. Steve Buscemi gets like multiple times during the movie. He states like, aren't we fucking professionals? Aren't you a fucking professional? I'm a fucking professional. Like he says the phrase fucking professional so many times in the movie. Uh, And all he's really caring about is the job. Like, don't tell me your name. I'm not going to tell you my name. Like I'm sticking to the fucking rules. We're getting these diamonds. We're getting the fuck out. We're getting our money. And at the end of the movie, he does that. He never once tells anybody what his name is. He doesn't learn anybody's name. 
and he walks away with the diamonds after everybody gets fucking popped. So he 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 did what he was supposed to do, and he stuck to the rules. Yeah, like the guy said, uh, whatever yeah. named the thing. He was like, "You stick to my rules." And Joe Cabot, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was the character. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. He was the only one that stuck to the game plan. Because yeah. right from the get-go, like their whole diamond heist thing goes to shit. Because yeah. Mister Blonde, Mike Michael Madsen, starts fucking shooting people inside the fucking store and. Yeah. And, and all that, and it was a setup too. You know, Mister Orange yeah, um, exactly. was an undercover cop and had set everybody up. And Steve Buscemi is the only one that sticks to the plan. Is the only one that's successful in the heist in regards to getting the diamonds and getting the fuck out. I had said too. Um, to me, it was a, a story about just putting your faith in the wrong people because, like, everybody just trusts the wrong person except for Steve Buscemi's character. Because trust like, himself. It's an allegory for yeah. Huh? What do you think it's an allegory for? Allegory? Like, what do you think it represents? Yeah, what do you think, like, the story represents? Like, what's the bigger meaning behind like, that? Yeah, theme? Almost, like... Yeah. Um, I think that, yeah. Honestly, like, just, uh, be careful who you place your trust in. Because, like, everybody is willing to die for the person that they're trusting. Like, at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, Harvey Cattell's willing to die for Tim Roth leaves him. And then the other two, like, Chris Penn's willing to die for his dad because it's yeah. his, his dad. And then uh, Joe's willing to kill him because, like, he knows that all these guys died because of him and the job went to shit because he didn't, you know, he wasn't sure on the one dude. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, and then Marvin gets killed because he puts his trust into uh, Tim Roth that he's going to get him out of it. And then he comes back in and he gets shot. You know what I mean? The cop. So, because I think doesn't he promise him that he's gonna get him out of it? Yeah, yeah, that the cops are coming. You know. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, to me it was just a story about like all uh, like mistrust and um, misdirection and that kind of shit. You know. Yeah, I would, I would agree. You know, and to, um, and I guess to kind of build off that as well, like you know, be careful who you put your trust in. Yeah, uh, and like yeah. faith and stuff like that, but also like. Like, how many times have you heard somebody, like, uh, I'm thinking about, like, Thanos at the end of Age of Ultron, like, where it's like, fine, I'll do it myself. You yeah. know, and, like, that's what Steve Buscemi does, right? Like, he's the only yeah. person that trusts himself and trusts the process, as yeah. opposed to, like, letting his emotions and shit guide him. Like, he had a job, and he did his job, and, like, it was, for him, it was about being professional, right? And, like, not letting emotions and shit get in the way and just, like, do the job. Like, if this dude, even in the beginning of the movie, like, when he shows up at the warehouse, after uh, Tim Roth is like fucking bleeding out and stuff, you know, he's even, he even tells um, uh, Harvey Cattell, he's like, how about, he's like, all right, fine. We'll drop him off at a hospital. Like we don't have to go in. Like, we'll just drop him off. And then like, we get the fuck out. Like we go to a hotel nobody knows who we are. And then that's where a whole like professional conversation start uh, conversation mm-hmm. starts. And like talking about professionalism and, you know, Harvey Cattell is like, well, he, like he knows my name and where I'm from. And he's like, what the fuck? And he's like, the dude was dying. Like the guy's yeah. fucking dying. He's like, I'm trying to, you know, keep him yeah. comfortable. So, like, I'm just gonna fucking yeah. talk to him like a person. And that's another thing too is like, um, I think you're onto something about like trust and stuff like that, and just like, and just being human. It's like a very like, there's not a a lot of like crazy shit that happens in the movie. It's just like all about like human emotions and like how we are human and like how we let our emotions influence our decisions. Maybe you know, be careful of the decisions that you make. But like, yeah, I mean, uh, Harvey Cattell is like. He- he really likes Tim Roth's character. Like he trusts him. Yeah. Like, he wants, he, he's like his mentor. Yeah. Essentially throughout, throughout the movie. So like, 
Yeah, I mean, like, he gets really hurt there at the end when he tells him that he's a cop. Like, he's like, shit, dude, like, I literally just fucked everything up because I thought you weren't what they said you were. And he's like, Yeah, it's very point breakish. Yeah, yeah. Or to to our young viewers, very fast and furious one. Yeah, dude, what else do you have besides that? That's fucking, that's our age. <laughs> what the fuck was that? That's a boo. Um, I'm gonna come. <laughs> I think it's really interesting, too. That one gets but me it, up time. It's a good one, thank you. Um, and I think it's interesting, too, that the only Give characters that you get... Uh, background information on are the ones that are involved at the end there that that all die like you know you you get a little bit of backstory with Mr. White you know Harvey Cattell's character um, you get a little bit with Mr. Blonde and you get the most backstory out of uh, out of Tim Roth's character yeah and like those are like the th- like three main characters because like even um, yeah. Chris Penn says too that like you know Michael Madsen's character you know, went to jail for four years and never yeah. snitched once. So, like, why is he going to turn on us now? Like, that doesn't yeah. make any sense. And that's how he knew that Tim Roth was the rat. Yeah. You know, and it's like, uh, and in Tim Roth's backstory, you get like a flashback of him and Harvey Cattell like hanging out and like laughing and like bonding. There's yeah. a, the whole thing where he's like, okay, this person's going to be posted up over here. This person's yeah. going to be posted up over here. It's like, and what about that chick with the ass? And then Tim Roth and then he makes a joke about it, like, oh, she's going to be sitting here on my oh, dick. Yeah. You know, and then they fucking laugh and they bond over it. You know, it's like they're yeah. actually like friends. friends. You know, like they, they start to build a connection. I'm sure Harvey Cattell probably sees a bit of himself in Tim Roth, you know, yeah. like father-son, the old the old guard and the new guard. Um, it's just... Uh, it's such a sad movie when you think about it too. It really like everybody is. Everybody dies. No happy ending in that movie. And honestly, it's it's uh, you could tell it, it. Um, like you you just have a feeling because as soon as uh, Tim Roth shoots that lady, and uh, right after he watches those police people, those police officers get killed, you can see it in his face. He's like, "Oh fuck, I couldn't do anything to stop that." And then. Yeah, and he's in too deep at this point. Yeah, but then after that, when they run away, and then that, and then he shoots her. I think he kills her. You can just see that he's like at that point in the story. You know, like, like it's registered for you. Like he's done. There's no, there's no coming back from that because he's already like you know he was a police officer. He's supposed to protect people. That's another thing too. Is like she's putting her trust in police officers, mm-hmm. and a police officer just killed her undercover, trying to protect people. So like. You know, yeah, and at that he, point, he is now a criminal, yeah, so like it, it, there's there's no point of redemption for him as far as the story's concerned, because the story's about the bank heist and the outcome of it or the aftermath of it, so yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, it's the perf- I, like but after rewatching it, I'll say like I think my favorite scene is the one where Chris Penn comes back and he finds this uh Mr. Blonde dead. Or is it Mr. Blonde? Michael Madsen. He finds him dead, and then he has that little speech with him before uh, he shoots um, Harvey Cattell. Like, that that scene was just fucking raw. Like, he was just so good. Like, every, the, the pitch of his voice and everything just raised. Yeah, again, everybody had a stellar performance in that movie. There wasn't a, a, a bad performance out of the actors. Um, and what you like, were saying I'm... just now with the... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, you go. 
I no, I'm going to go now. Sh- shut up, no, Joe. So ahead, the Joe. thing no. that I want to talk about... The- <laughs> well, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, the hero's journey. So if you want to if you want to say something, go ahead. I'm going to... I'm going to come. Where's the hypotheosisness? Hypotheosis Jones. Um, Apotheosis Will Smith. I think the apotheosis is probably the scene where um, he's talking to uh, to Marvin, uh, the cop that's uh, duct taped up to the chair. Yeah. And he's like, uh, and, the, and the guy's like complaining and shit. He's like, fuck you. Like, I'm fucking dying. Like, he's like literally like yelling I'm at him. I'm fucking dying, man. I'm fucking dying, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come my fucking ear off. Yeah. I feel like that's probably his apotheosis where he realizes what like the whole kind of thing was about. Cause as he said, he's like fucking dying. Like he's, yeah, you know, putting like everything's kind of coming into clarity oh. for him and, and shit like that. So oh, that, that knockout? Yeah. Yeah. So would that mean that Harvey Cattell's apotheosis would be probably at the end right before he dies? And he finds out that Tim Roth's, uh, I mean, if you're arguing that he's the antagonist, probably at that point. Yeah. Right. No, I think Mr. Blonde is the antagonist. Yeah. Because the whole mission and shit goes to shit. Like, if you think about if Mr. Orange's plan had gone according to plan, you know, had gone the right way, none of this would have happened. Like, the cops would have just showed up. They would have stopped the diamond bust. Everyone would have gotten arrested, and it would have been fine. It would have been clean. You know, it wouldn't have been this fucking huge string of events you know and i feel like for um yeah like the whole story takes place because of mr orange's involvement essentially yeah yeah so, exactly yeah. yeah the way that the event unfolds is because yeah. of him okay. uh and his affiliation with the police and then just the reaction to the like the yeah, police yeah. showing up early and and all that um and i was gonna say like i feel like the scene where he kills the woman is the scene where it's reflected that he's the master of both worlds which yeah. is weird because it happens Usually that happens after the apotheosis. So maybe the apotheosis is when he's in the car with Harvey Cattell. Because uh, when I say the master of both worlds, I mean, you were saying it before. And that's what made me think of that. When you were talking about, like, he's a cop, and now he killed this woman. You know, now he's a criminal. So, like, it's in that moment that he goes from being an undercover cop trying to do good to now caught up in this mess and is, an, is a criminal with the rest of these criminals. Like, he is no longer... Are you sure that maybe uh, that's the apocalypse. both worlds isn't when he like successfully gets away with that story that he tells? No, no, no. That's the belly of the beast. Oh yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense. And when you think about just how they show the scene too, it's like literally him inside, yeah, like yeah. as a criminal. It's the criminal him yeah. inside a bathroom, surrounded by cops, you know, and shit like that, yeah, and like trying to make it out of there without getting arrested. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. And like you know, there's always the. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that would be the belly of the beast. Because you have to think about uh, Mr. Orange and, like, two different two different things. There's, like, what, uh, God, what's his actual cop name? Because they say it. Marvin says it. Do you remember? Larry something. Is it Larry or, like, uh, Jerry or something Francis. like that? Larry or Francis? I think Francis. Yeah. Freddy is who it is. Freddy uh, Neuendike, um over here. So his name is Freddy. Um, yeah. so you have to think there's two different people there. There's Freddie and there's Mr. Orange. Yeah. You know, so like Mr. Orange is the, I think is the, the actual character of this movie. It's almost like Joker in a sense where you see like the switch from, um, uh, Arthur into Joker. Arthur. You, you can almost think about it like this as well, where it's like, 
his descent because even when he's in the diner talking to um holiday who's the other cop i don't know if that's like his boss or if that's just like his partner or, or what but you know they have a, a conversation where he's like yeah i learned you know about this uh potential like bank heist from this guy like blah 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 it was probably like some type of like a uh, confidential informant and holloway tells him like hey this guy isn't your friend remember that th he even tells him then like this guy isn't your friend he's a guy that like double crosses people and shit so like don't put your faith in him which is yeah. funny because like that ends up that, like, that's kind of how why he dies and shit is because yeah. he ends up becoming friends with harvey Cattell. Mm -hmm. like he, the thing that his co-worker tells him not to do is like don't get caught up in the shit stick to the plan just like Ho holiday or uh holdaway i mean is the uh the cop equivalent of steve buscemi like yeah, you stick to the fucking exactly. plan you know just connections you, you yeah. get in you get out like they're they are the same character but from two different the the lawful good you know police yeah. officer air quotes around lawful good and then the criminal yeah. steve buscemi trying to give some guidelines how to get through the shit and then they realize that, and then and then their two pupils essentially do the opposite. Well, yeah, not even pupils, I, but not yeah, pupils, but like yeah, they're they're two. Uh, I think they're the same. I think they're the same character, but yeah. to the two different halves of Tim Roth as mm -hmm. Freddie and Mister Orange. Like they're the same. They 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 have the same purpose, which is to remind the character to stay on the fucking path and don't deviate from it. And like, how does he? How does he eventually deviate? When do you think it's it's? I think it's when he shoots uh, Mr. Blonde, right? Michael Madsen. At, at that point, he probably just can't come back from it. No, actually, though, I think maybe the Mr. Blonde shooting. Maybe that's the moment that signifies that he's the master of two worlds because he's fucked yeah. up, and that's uh, man. Maybe that's like his redemption. Like in his head, he like killed a woman, and he watched those cops die, but he was able to just save a cop who ends yeah. up still dying anyway. But like, you know what I mean? That that could be another way of thinking about it. I don't know if that makes sense for the for the listeners, but um, you know, if I'm following the the conversation, I feel you. It's interesting to to think about this story from the the hero's journey, just because it is nonlinear. One of the things that I think is funny is like uh, the hero's journey. You know, it usually begins because of uh, because of an accident, right? Like the call to adventure is some type of a blunder or something that happens that kind of signifies the calling to like this like greater thing that you can embark on this like greater adventure you know yada yada but both steve buscemi and uh and holdaway are two people that are telling you know uh harvey Cattell and tim roth to not deviate from the path they're saying like don't like just stick to the fucking plan like stay in this mold Ooh, keep going do. forward whatever but don't deviate yeah that in itself i feel is slightly metaphorical in the sense of the the hero's journey where like yeah the the call of adventure is a thing that signifies that you're going to deviate off the path of the normal person and go on the the path of the hero's journey i was trying to uh to find some meaning in a lot of the dialogue like some some like i don't know underlying themes or or some symbolism or something and like i don't know if like tarantino's just deep or like i'm just missing something but a lot of it just seemed like just regular bullshit like yeah no the i agree i was thinking that like the dialogue is just very like conversational. I think, I think a lot of the, um, the messages are in the performance itself. Yeah. And like through like what Joe was saying, like with the lighting, um, yeah, the lighting and stuff like that, like that's where you get making, making lemons out of, or making, making lemons out of lemonade, you know, you're going backwards. Um, <laughs> love me some lemon lemonade. The soundtrack was, was yeah. 
pretty good though. I mean, it's. I feel like the soundtrack was a lot of, a lot of it too. Huh? I said I feel like it like it wasn't really like a score. It was kind of like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, where it's just kind yeah. of like it's kind music, of like some you know, like actual pop songs. songs splashed together. Yeah. What was Stephen Wright's point? The DJ. What was that from? They mentioned. I don't, know. I don't. I don't really know. But he is the DJ. Like when um, uh, Michael Madsen turns on the radio to do the stuck in the middle uh, with you scene. Um, mm-hmm. That's the radio station that he's listening to. I think that the ra- uh, Stephen Wright's character, the radio host, I think yeah. is just kind of like, um, uh, like a like a narrator or whatever. You a know, narration. Really... Cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I'm thinking of it like the character itself is like. Uh, think about like old like Spider Man comics and shit, yeah. or like old Marvel comics where you would have like, uh, you know, by day Peter Parker is whatever. Like there would be like some type of like narrator voiceover thing written in the comics like you know what i'm talking about and then there would yeah. be like dialogue i feel like that the radio host stephen wright was similar to that it's just kind of like a narrator just like a, a third like an uh like an omnipotent just kind of I'm continuously going throughout the story to yeah i get you i feel you what do you think is the best quentin tarantino movie Ooh, me yeah no the other mike the one with the big nose and the glasses um me. Um, probably Django. Fucking no. You're such a piece of shit, Joe. Why would you... The fucking one time you want to answer a question is when you have the same goddamn answer I had. You it sounded better coming from me, though. I hate you. Now, um, now I'm going to say Kill Bill just to be a juxtaposition. I forgot about Kill Bill. That is a good movie. Right? Um, My, my personal favorite is Django. I think it's his it's uh his best movie. I just feel like it's the story's probably the best one he's ever compared to any of the other ones. Um but uh Yeah, that's just like a straight up story of redemption. Yeah. Kill Bill is fucking phenomenal. Like it's like both those movies are so good and they're just they bring it back to that old school like just like like kung fu kind of like cheesy but not too cheesy mm-hmm. kind of shit that went down oh you know, my god just knocked this motherfucker out sorry who got knocked out uh i don't know who was who in this fight there goes mitch mcconnell walking into the ring oh no it's not mitch mcconnell shit. pelosi oh um, that's nancy pelosi but yeah uh, i like how he he uses he he always has a nod to like old films in his movies like you whether it's like little things mm-hmm. like that or it's like big things like uh once upon a time in Hollywood. really has a caprio where he recreates a scene with steve mcqueen from an exact movie just uses dicaprio instead um but you can tell he's just a fan of cinema so that really comes yeah. through but kill bill yeah i would say so, so you think the best movie oh, sorry no go ahead no you go sorry no i was trying to no, I was just gonna say, Kill Bill is probably his best movie. If if Joe's saying Django, but then your favorite is Django. Yeah, Joe. Why is Django his best movie? Go. Uh, any movie that uh, kills slave owners over two and a half hours is a okay in my book. That's another That's reason hard. I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, like it already has like it's already a ninety, you know, a Rotten Tomatoes ninety percent just for the fact that it kills slave owners over two and a half hours, multiple slave owners. No, that's why it's not a hundred percent. 
because white hollywood's like so this is fucked up <laughs> well no the other time is because it's, it's a great it's a it's a first off the uh there's like a couple shots in that movie that like make it for me. The 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 uh, the zoom the zoom in shots uh, are they're all hysterical. Every single one of them. Yeah. The, the Leo where like uh, they rip the guy. You know he's like. Uh, well, hello. Guy. One of them tries to run away. Yeah, that one when they first meet him, they zoom in on his face uh, yeah. when the guys are fighting. The next, like when he's. Um, when, you know the guy is running away and he's about to have the dogs attack him and then. Uh, oh, you will, Doctor Schultz. Yeah, you will. <laughs> uh, I, this the, then the movie has like. Uh, well, I was reading that like uh, you know the scene where they're like he's like where he's like uh, where Django at the very end he's like uh, say bye to Miss Laura, uh, bye Miss Laura, boom and she, like she goes flying off screen. Yeah, um, it was a nod to uh, old old western movies that didn't show violence against women really and it was really oh, yeah. minimalized. so they like he just you know so tarantino does a nod to that and just like blows it up times 10 by just having yeah. her just being it's so ridiculous that she goes flying out of the room to avoid the uh the the gore to her which is <laughs> it's reads so funny that uh, is funny actually now that you mention it because she doesn't yeah they don't show her blood at all I don't think. No, she, so they so they ham it up, and they do the exact opposite. They make That's it funny. as, yeah, where everyone else, like in a real gunfight, gets really bloody and gory as it would be. He yeah. does the opposite with her, and she goes flying. Say, it just goes from one extreme to the other. That's funny. And the, and the movie does a good job of uh, what I always thought was interesting was like you know everyone at the height of slavery, everyone thinks that everyone owns slaves, and that's not true because it's extremely expensive to own human beings and to feed them and to house them. Yeah. Uh, so only the extremely rich can do that. So the movie does a really good job of showing that only the really rich people uh, own slaves. And you had, you know, poor white trash who yeah. were okay with the system because they were able to at least live off it. And it showed that exactly. it didn't affect them. Yeah. And it showed how like subhuman and they bet not only did they not hurt them, but they benefited off of it. Oh, they did. Um, yeah. Yeah. So they didn't yeah. want it to go anywhere, but there was also the psychological aspect of it. Also, of like, uh, it doesn't matter how white trash and shitty I am, if I know that that person has less rights than me, then I somehow feel like I've, I'm better as a person. Yeah, so exactly. I'm okay with that. You know, like those, like the, uh, the movie where you like the part of the movie where like Django comes back and blows off the guy's like dick. Uh, yeah. and they're like, it's like the five guys are in that house though, and like they live in like fucking squalor, like they live in shitty conditions, yeah. and they're okay with that only because of like this idea that they think that they're better than, you know, because they're white. Yeah. yeah. So I think the movie does a really good job of showing just how fucked that system was from top to bottom, because you, it's always glossed over. And I think it's so, uh, I think the fact that only the extremely elite owned other human beings is so glossed over in our yeah. history. I thought that movie did a really good job of just putting you in such an offensive time. Because like every word was offensive, you know what I mean? Like as it should, yeah, it should be. That's the way it was. So like, and, and like it's even and it's offensive scenario. Owning people yeah. is extremely offensive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I mean, do you like, think that uh, Django might be the best timepiece movie ever? Yes. I think. Oh, like time, like time era. You know what I mean? I don't oh, know. Uh, yeah. I, I thought it did a good job of. Um, like Joe said, uh, or being like uh, historically accurate, like you know, like is it the most period accurate movie? 
out for that time period i think yeah because everything else like doesn't address the heart of it how evil leonardo dicaprio's character is how evil um samuel jackson's character is steve you ever how, see 12 years of as, slave? Bill, as bill maher i didn't see <laughs> i didn't see 12 years of slave because i don't like movies 12 years i've watched 12 years of slave. Great. i love so it so i could be wrong yeah um, no that is actually a really good one too yeah Django's just fucking uh so good yeah, I haven't watched Django. It came out in what, 2012, right? I think. 2012, uh, 2013. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I honestly, I've only ever seen Django once, maybe twice, and it was while we were still in college. So it was yeah. sometime between when it came out in 2012 and us graduated in 2014. Like, that was the only time I've seen it. It's been like six, seven years. Uh, and the humor is great. Uh, the humor is, is fantastic in that movie, is. though. To balance... Because the movie, you know, it's a very serious subject, and to have that balance yeah. is not easy. Yeah, it does a good job of making you uncomfortable, but like, still not like making you so uncomfortable that you don't want to watch it. Um, and I think the use of the N word was used really well because, like, it's you get so desensitized because of how often you hear it. Yeah. Oh, and, it's like every other word. It feels like in the movie. Yeah, and it's on on purpose to desensitize you to the word, but like, so, but you always should be cognizant of how terrible the word is. Mm-hmm. So it's a great juxtaposition mentally. I guess maybe even like subverting of how you view that word, yeah. you know. And so to like let your guard down. I was like, well, I've heard you know this white guy say it like fifty times in the movie, so I guess it's you know. It's, but it's like, but then but in the back of your head, you're like, wait a second, this is still like, yeah. this is still it's supposed to make you uncomfortable. Racism. Yeah. yeah. And if you weren't uncomfortable watching that, those scenes. Something's wrong. I don't know. Like, well, even hearing yeah. him use everyone use that <laughs> yeah. word so yeah. liberally yeah. and so matter of factly, like yeah, this is just a word we use to describe certain people mm-hmm. <laughs> over and over again. And I think Django does like the scene when uh, they meet the lawyer and they're going up to first meet Leo's character, and he's like, uh, you know, in fact, I was raised, uh, you know, I was born into this family and I was raised to be Candy's Mr. Candy's lawyer. And then Sam Jackson's like, since you were raised to be is, you know, and I think that yeah. like. That juxtaposes how often that word is used, and now that like he's oh man, it's just so everything in that uh, the dialogue in that movie is just fantastic. Oh, it's so good. That that I think that was his like that's yeah. the equivalent to Kevin Smith's Clerks too for um, Quentin Tarantino, as far as I'm concerned. Like everything in that movie, like even uh, that that scene with the clan. What do you mean? I think it's just his best movie. Like it's his most complete movie like it's just i don't know it takes you on an emotional journey oh, with okay. characters and makes you really care about them um but back to Django, that seems like the, a good uh, balance of like drama and yeah and like yeah. comedy and just like kind of it's, it's just the story is really compelling and the characters are so well done and, and like the villains are so hateable and this the story is just really good um so yeah i think that's his best movie honestly but kill bill is up there Christopher Waltz was great in that too. Oh shit, dude! And Glorious Bastards. That's a Tarantino. And he's great in that movie too. The I've never seen Glorious Bastards. You've never seen Glorious Bastards? No. Came out in like 2008, and I still haven't seen it. Oh, dude, we gotta like group watch that one night. Yeah, it is a actually, great movie. I'd watch that, that tonight. Fantastic. That scene with the bear Jew gets me pumped oh, every like, fucking it's time. It's so fucking funny because of how that bad. And then he just walks <laughs> out, dude, and he just swings on that motherfucker. 
It's so good. Oh, I loved it, dude. That movie is so hysterical in that movie. That's non-linear. Oh, dude, I'll wa- let's watch it tonight. It's so fucking funny. It's so good. It's super good. Non-linear. Uh... No, it is. It's linear. Is it? Yeah. I don't know. But... I'm just making stuff up to sound like I know what I'm talking about. My favorite Tarantino movie is uh, is Kill Bill. Um, I'm not going to give you any spoilers, but once again, um, uh, I will say Hitler is in that movie, and it is hysterical. All right, deal. Well, we can watch it tonight. <laughs> yeah, please. So I don't want to. I want to just like I want. Christoph Waltz is great in that movie too. He plays like the notorious fucking like you know. I mean. He's, yeah oh my god he just fucking he's so it's crazy because he plays such like a uh you know a, a good person in django like a universally good person in django and then yeah and then plays like an absolute monster in uh uh in, in glorious bastards he does it so well yeah for me i think uh my my favorite movie is definitely kill bill um and Kill Bill Volume Two, but I think, that, and I would say that his best movie or like best story, I think, is in Kill Bill. That's just like a western meets a kung fu movie story about revenge. <clears throat> you guys want to record an episode on Inglorious Bastards tomorrow? Watch it tonight and record an episode tomorrow. Yeah, I can do that. And we just fucking drop back to back episodes, or I can merge them into one. No, we could drop back to back. We do like a whole series on Tarantino movies. We could just do a whole thing. Do you want to do that as our next uh, next thing? Do you want to just do a fucking series of Tarantino flicks? Yeah, I want to do uh, Jackie. Uh, Jack- Jackie Brown. Yeah, I've never seen. I've actually never seen that one either. I've only That's seen good one like bits and pieces, and I've never seen it all the way through. No, that, I mean we could do those. I really want to watch Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, let's see how we can watch Inglorious Bastards. All right, looks like we'll be able to find it on like Amazon, like renting it or or on renting on like YouTube or something like that. Um, all right, well, everybody, thanks for uh, tuning in, and make sure to check back in in uh, in a couple of days for part two of this conversation where we pick up uh, talking about Tarantino flicks. Um, we started talking about for our French viewers, yeah. and listeners. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. Uh, yeah, so we're going to watch Inglorious Bastards tonight, and then uh, tomorrow we're going to talk about Inglorious Bastards uh, and just more Tarantino stuff. Cause oh my god, can you end the episode, please? Joe, I will fucking drive down to North Carolina and kiss you right on the fucking lips <laughs> right now. I fucking will keep talking it. to me like that, Joe. I'm going to come.